0: This is episode 19 of the Nesbepreneur podcast, produced by Stem Media. Let's go. You're listening to the Nesbepreneur podcast,
1: where we share information to help make your dream become a reality. Do you have a big idea looking to take your business to the next level? Then look no further. You have come to the right place. And now, here's your host, Maya Mabry.
0: Welcome one and welcome all again here to the Nesbepreneur podcast. I am your host, Dr. Nehemiah Mabry, and my intentions are always to inspire, motivate, and encourage you. Look, today I am very excited because today's guest is someone that uh, I've really been looking forward to talking with. We haven't talked really much at all, so you are going to get the kind of the uncut, raw, first take conversation between us two. But I am joined by... Miss Felicia Hatcher. How are you doing today, Felicia? I'm
1: doing really good. Really good. Thank you so much for having me on your show.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. The, the pleasure is all mine and the listeners. A White House award-winning entrepreneur, motivational speaker, and author, Felicia Hatcher creates cool books, products, and courses to help startups, creatives, and broke entrepreneurs follow their most epic dreams. And I'm just going to stop right there, Felicia, because though that was a little taste, I think that was a a nice of enough taste to really get us all excited about this conversation. And so I'm just going to start off with asking you to kind of expand that even more so in sharing a random fact about yourself before we get into the details behind your bio. Oh, okay.
1: So do you want like a funny random fact or like a business random (laughs) fact? (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, it it could be a random funny fact. It's something okay. our business is like we're gonna get into business. We're gonna get into business.
1: Okay, so a random funny fact is I got married at a hippie donut shop in Portland, Oregon. Wow. Next week will actually be eight years. So I'm coming up on my anniversary. But yeah, very random funny fact.
0: Oh my goodness. <laughs> I didn't expect that. That is very, very interesting. So at a donut shop, so like would y'all have like people there and like serve cut up donuts as hors d'oeuvres at the end or how did that go
1: no they they actually gave us a huge potter of donuts it was just myself and my husband uh we eloped to portland after trying to plan a wedding for two years and we saw it like uh on a, one of our a first trips to portland we saw the place and it's this place called Voodoo Donuts, so it's like one of the top 10 places to visit oh, when you go to portland and we thought it was hilarious <laughs> And uh, my husband happened to be working in Portland. so we, And he was like, let's just do it. And I'm like, yeah, let's just do it. So,
0: that is uh, something. It's kind of a- <laughs> <laughs> so do y'all is that a must-see every time you go to Portland now?
1: Yeah, like we did your anniversary. We did Portland. Actually, no, our seventh year anniversary we did Portland because we were there last year. And we made a stop there. But other than that, no. Like, it's, a, it's, a, it's fantastic and great, but it's not a stop that we do every time we go there.
0: Got gotcha, you. Got gotcha. you. What was more important was that you all began your union there and uh, still strong. Right. right.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Great. Great. All right. So let's see. White House Award winning entrepreneur, motivational speaker, author. Where do we start with all this? I, I, you know, I would like to maybe get a little information on your educational background. Like how did you okay. how does one go to school and embark upon such a prolific career?
1: You know, one goes to school, but then also one understands that you really have to kind of have a global education in the sense of understanding that not all of your education will come within four walls and not all of your opportunities will come within, within those four walls, So it definitely have a basis. So I did not major in a STEM field uh, because it was kind of beat out of me when I was in high school because I was a C student and I love science, but I sucked at math. And I also love to write. And my high school guidance counselor told me I'd actually never make it to college. And I set out on this mission to prove this woman wrong because she was trying to define my life at 17 years old. And uh, I ended up winning over $120,000 in scholarships and grants with a GPA that never touched a 3.0. So, you know, self taught, I taught myself how to code in high school. I loved to tinker. Like, you know, I could rewire cable and, into my bedroom. Like, I was. Just that kind of kid, very active, but you know the traditional education system just didn't necessarily fit in for for me at that time, you know. And so what I started to see is one, you have to kind of create your opportunities, own opportunities, and then how to create opportunities with limited resources. And that kind of became the basis of the rest of my life, leading up to this point. And I um, got a, went to university, uh, majored in communications, uh, advertising, and PR. I started my first business when I was a freshman in college, and so I actually left college early with the blessings of my parents to work on this business full time. And just it was probably one of the craziest and best decisions I've ever made because it made me work harder than ever before and have a career that married kind of my technology background with my marketing background as well and led the way for me, like, working on the product launch side for Nintendo, for Sony, for the NBA, even in food for a little bit as well before launching launching my own company.
0: My goodness. Look, I, I knew that there was a reason for us to get in contact. Like, I just resonate with your story so much because you had this – The STEM inclination, you had the skills, you know, but you also had this other passion for, you said, writing and you went into school studying communication. And so you found a way to marriage the two. And I personally feel that's kind of where where STEM media, my company kind of seeks to kind of uh, approach these from that, that blending of these these things that. Traditionally, we're placed in two separate silos is where a lot of innovation can be born and a lot of just phenomenal things can take place. Absolutely. I, I definitely agree. I definitely agree. That's awesome. And So you told me that you left school your sophomore year early mm-hmm. to embark out on this entrepreneurial journey. How did that come about? Was this something that you just used? I call it the entrepreneur itch. Did you get it while you're in college or was it something that was brewing for a long time and then eventually you was like, I can't take it?
1: Yeah, you know, I wasn't one of those kids that was, like, buying things and selling them when I was eight years old or um, selling ant farms or, like, any of those things. But I was, like, the top Girl Scout seller of all time in South Florida. And so but, – but then also just really curious kid, really loved to tinker, but not really understanding what entrepreneurship was at that time, right? And my, my dad was an entrepreneur, still is. You know, he's been in business for over 20 years. But I didn't know what that was. I couldn't make that connection. It just wasn't in my frame of reference at the time, right? So it's not back then, and I'm 33 now, so back then it wasn't as buzzy as it is now, right? So And most 8-year-old kids know exactly what an entrepreneur is, and they understand that to, to a certain extent. that it's pretty multifaceted, right? But back mm-hmm. then, you, just didn't, you didn't really know, right? But I realized that I had some unique talents, right, that weren't even necessarily in the traditional business kind of career form and it was really my mom who pushed me at that time she was just like you're spending all this time and the first business I started was called Urban Excellence I started with a friend of mine who's still business partners to this day uh, James Taylor and it was an educational consulting company and essentially everything that I learned through the process of going through this guidance counselor he told me I'd never amount to anything to winning all this money, getting accepted into a university, again, something she told me I never would do, I mean, people that felt just like me, right? Or their right. parents had kids that were just like me, that wanted someone that could work with them to show them like, hey, you know, here's the loopholes, here's the workarounds. there's definitely not one road to success. There are tons of roads to success, especially if mm-hmm. you create mm-hmm. your own road. And that became the work that we, we started to do, so workshops. Uh, We build college prep programs and scholarship prep programs for organizations like the Urban League and DeVry University and for churches and and youth organizations. Mm -hmm. Still not even really completely understanding all of what we were doing and how impactful it was or how big it was at 19 years old, but that was a company that we, we started and that we ran for five years.
0: Did you figure everything out on your own, or at that age, did you kind of have mentors that you looked to you and your partner when you were trying to figure out?
1: We had some good mentors and we had some bad mentors and <laughs> and you know that was a big learning lesson for us. A lot of it was you know one of the biggest reasons uh why I push young people to to start businesses while they're in high school, while they're in college is you're small enough to throw things up against the wall and see what sticks. And that was a lot of what we did, you know, just trying to navigate it and figure it out. And for, you know, one of the greatest messages that I, I got from a mentor was like, Felicia, put down the darn books. Like, you're not going to find the answers that you're looking for in the book. Like, you just have to go out and do it. Do it. And yeah, it may okay. hurt, right? It mm-hmm. may hurt. You're going to make some mistakes. You're going to lose some money. You're going to lose a ton of sleep. But you're not going to find it in all this research that you're trying to do. It's like now I tell students, like, do not educate yourself out of your dream because you can very well do that by constantly looking for the answer instead of just stepping out on faith. You know, like Martin Luther King says, you know, taking the first step without being able to see the rest of the staircase. And that's what all of us have to do if you are headstrong on on following your dreams and just seeing where it's going to go because there's no no GPS (laughs) that will tell you turn-by-turn directions on where you need to go. And if you read like your your favorite celebrity or entrepreneur that you're following, even if you read and try, you can never duplicate what they've done because the environment is completely different, right? right. 30 years ago when Oak was first started, we didn't even have Facebook when Mark Zuckerberg wasn't even born yet. So
0: mm-hmm, you can't mm-hmm.
1: follow her steps anymore because the, the game is completely different. And that's what we have to understand.
0: You know, usually I try to pull some nuggets away from what my guests say. But, uh, you said so much. I don't even know what to pull out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, so I'll, I'll say this. I'll say this. I know that a lot of us, and I'm just going to share with you kind of the makeup of our audience. Like we have a lot of people who are entrepreneurially minded that listen to this podcast. Some have businesses or have things on the way, but there's a segment, and I know this for a fact, that have an idea have read books, have looked at YouTube videos and really want to do something. I mean, they know exactly what they would do, but for whatever reason, they haven't made that attempt. And you've already said they have to launch out on faith, but also sometimes there's this feeling that I need to find someone who has done it before, which there's merit to that, but I need to find someone, like you said, that has the exact blueprint and, What you're saying is that doesn't exist. That exact blueprint doesn't exist.
1: It doesn't. I mean, if if it did, they wouldn't be still standing there, you know? So what did you do? Um, It was, again, it was was literally just experimenting and figuring things out. When I tell people my story and, like, who I was back at 19 and 20 years old in college, they don't believe me, right, because I'm super outgoing now, but I was a huge introvert. But I knew that I knew enough to know that what I had sitting in my dorm room were not enough of the resources that I needed in order to do the things that I was, I needed to do. And so I was very curious. I, I observed a lot of what was going on on my campus. And one of the biggest things and one of the best gifts that Lynn University could have gave to me was just all the resources that they had on my campus. And they are a very small campus compared to probably a lot of the universities and colleges that your, your, your listeners are a part of. But every speaker that they brought to the school, I'm, I'm there. I'm showing up. I'm in the room. I probably, I'm, usually, most of the times I was not even talking to anybody. But I knew that I needed to be in that room because that person and the people that were in the room were some, at some point at least a little closer to what my dream was than I was and they had certain resources that I didn't necessarily know, but I just knew that at least they were in their career, and I was not at that point, right? Or at least they were attached to a, um, a youth program or they mm-hmm. were part of a charity where I was going to learn something, even though I did not have the courage to talk to those people or talk to anyone at the time. It was just like showing up and putting myself in a po- position to have collision points. And that, for me, was the the biggest first step of just putting myself in the place that I I knew I want to be in. Right. So I'm a speaker now and those people were speakers. Right. So I'm part of the company that I was building with me doing workshops and, and traveling and speaking to parents and speaking to students and speaking to decision makers. And those are the rooms that I realized that I needed to be in. You know, the other part was just being really, really, really resourceful. So using and abusing everything that was on my college campus, you know, I was the, president of the black student union at the time and a part of some other organizations and the black student union office was also my business office, right? The library was also my office at the same time. My voicemail, on my dorm room phone, because me and my roommate both had cell phones. You know, if you call that number, it was my office number. And it said, this is urban excellence. Cause I needed, I knew enough to know that I needed a separate office line aside from my cell phone voicemail. And so it was just being very scrappy and very gritty with the things that I had uh, available to me and realizing that if I could multiply and get creative with those things, that it would lead me down the path enough to know to figure things out to see, hey, do I need to pivot? Or it's going to lead me down to a path of meeting people that can help um, accelerate what I was trying to do.
0: Yeah, yeah. So here's the thing, though, Felicia, and I know that our listeners, I know you all are just soaking all that up that she shared, being scrappy putting yourself in position to get bits and pieces from here and there. It's like little bit by bit, little by little, you begin to see a picture emerge. And so that all sounds well and good. And and I think that is extremely valuable. And here's the thing, though. When you do that, there's a risk. There's an inherent risk of failure. It's not a matter of if, really. It's a matter of when. Everyone who takes some sort of attempt to, to put themselves out there in whatever way, it's going to experience failure on some level, right? And sometimes that failure that you experience, whether it's a someone saying no, or whether it's a pivot, it turn out that your business model doesn't work. It takes some sort of resilience and persistence to get past that moment where what you had in your head isn't exactly what you saw play out. Can you, off the top of your head, or? At, draw from anything that was maybe a early challenge or early lesson that you may have learned that some may call, some may call failure.
1: Oh, listen, we can be on this podcast <laughs> all night if you want me to go through uh, all my failure stories. because I've, I've had so many, right? I did a, I did a TEDx talk on telling your failure story. Because I think that more people should tell their failure story. And I think more people would follow their dreams if they, if people were a little bit more realistic, and what happens when you decide to go up down this path, right? And it's not that it's harder. It's just that we are not trained in this area. So that's why we all struggle. Plus, the stories aren't being told, right? So if you look at Inc. Magazine or entrepreneurial Magazine or when you look at all these startups now, all you see is like, hey, they started in their parents' backyard." Mm-hmm and then they were IPO, like, a few right. weeks later, right? <laughs> millions of dollars. And, and, and no one talks, <laughs> right, and no one talks about the dark days, no one talks about the struggle, no one talks about people's big accounts going negative, or that, you know, you had this top client, and all of a sudden they decide to cut you because of the economic downturn, and you don't know how to make payroll. Like, those are all real entrepreneur stories, and i have tons of friends that, that we, you know, go to dinner, and we swap our entrepreneurial, like, war stories all the time, because it's it's very real, and for me, even talking about, I go back to the urban excellence. You know, the reason that I, I closed that company is because a friend of mine that I hired, that I know from middle school, who had won a bunch of scholarship money too, and that's why I decided to hire him. He actually stole the company from me. He stole my top. The reason you I got out college, me. Wow. right? was because I got a, a huge grant to, to, to duplicate my program and I decided to leave for the summer because I was going to do a leadership training program at John Hopkins University. I came back and the only reason I even found out that he stole this grant from me and such as my whole entire company was through voicemail, right? <laughs> and that was a voicemail of me calling mm-hmm. the executive director of the organization that gave me a, the grant. To find out when we were gonna start back up again because school was getting ready to start with the high school students, mm-hmm. and I'm listening to the voicemail pop, and his name comes up as the director of urban excellence wow. oh uh for goodness. the you know for the college program, oh man, and that's how I found out,
0: oh man,
1: and I was devastated. talk about devastated because listen, I made this this you know huge decision i I left school a semester before graduation, mm-hmm. right. I, I, I was look in the school and that's it. I left it because I realized what I was doing was so big and it was taking so much of my time and I put this amazing team together that I thought I trusted. And so to have that big blow, I, was just, I, I never wanted to start a business ever, 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 ever again. But I realized that if you are an entrepreneur, right, and it's just in you, you're always going to see opportunities uh, where other people see obstacles. Right. And it took me a few years. To launch another business, but that hurt, man. Mm-hmm. That hurt. That to me, that was a failure. But it, it taught me a ton of lessons, and the biggest lesson that it taught me was one: to put better systems in place. And then two, you know, you also have to make sure that you're vetting people that you're bringing into your organization. So whether it's an employee, whether it's a strategic partner, whether it's an investor, you know, you've got to make sure that you're vetting people just as much as sometimes they're vetting you because i left a lot of things and I gave him a lot of freedom and I gave him a lot of intellectual property that I shouldn't have. And that made it very easy to come in and take over my business. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if I can go back again to college, one of the biggest things, that's it, but there's been so many. And I, I ran a gourmet popsicle manufacturing company for seven years. So I can tell you the, the good, the bad, and the ugly of, of, of that entire process. And then, you know, what we're doing with Code Fever, not every day is an easy day, but when I worked for the NBA, not every day was an easy mm-hmm. day either. You know, and this I would trade and do more work in my right. business anytime than, than going back to, to where right, I was.
0: Right. Say that term again. You said popsicle, what was it? <laughs> gourmet popsicle. Say that again.
1: Yeah. Fever's uh, pops. Uh, we've been a gourmet popsicle manufacturing company for seven years before we sold it last year.
0: So you you've done some of everything, because that's not what someone would think when they see your book titles. That oh yeah, she makes popsicles as well. Like <laughs> that's cool.
1: <laughs> no, not at all. We found a really unique niche within the uh, frozen dessert industry, bringing in a product traditionally from Mexico called Mexican paletas, and adding just like a cool tech and marketing and like experiential marketing twist to it. So we were featured on the cooking channel and the today show for travel as like you name it we were all over the place but then just had a client roster out the wazoo so from airbnb paypal and google forever 21 whole foods just were all our clients that we would do really unique things with with the pot for clients at a store warehouse you know shift nationwide and all that fun stuff
0: man that's awesome and you know, there's so much, and we don't have the time to really dig into all of your ventures, but i tell you what caused me to notice you, and it was Black Tech Week that you all hold down in uh, in the MIA in Miami. One of my favorites, you know, in college, I used to say I was from Miami, even though I wasn't. I liked Miami so much because uh-huh. I used to visit. Like,
1: <laughs> Where are you from?
0: Well, right now, I live in North Carolina, but at the time, I was actually in uh-huh. Alabama, which is quite different from okay. Miami, Florida. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> But you've you've built this culture down there that people now flock to during this time of year called Black Mm -hmm. Tech Week. Could you share a little bit about the origins of that and what that's all about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the the feverish pop story is important for people to kind of understand where Black Tech Week came from, especially when like pop citizens and tech. So most of our employees with feverish were from the Liberty City kind of Overtown area, right? Mm So a targeted urban area very low income, you know that whole, like, story. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. we knew that our employees weren't going to be in popsicles forever, right? As an employer, you always want them to be, but that's the reality, Mm -hmm. especially when you're talking about black boys and black girls. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to train them in an area that we knew that would stay with them for the rest of their lives and make them just super marketable because they were just really good quick kids, very quick and very knowledgeable. You know, we knew that if they had a basis, and a foundation in computer programming that whether they stayed in tech or not, whether they stayed in a STEM field or not, it's going to set them up really good. And so we started Code Fever literally as just a way of training our employees and just some people in the community because a lot of the work that we did with Code Fever, almost feverish, like a portion of every pop system that we sold went to either charity or us creating youth programs. So we did an entrepreneurship program. We did a computer gaming program that Derek, my partner, ran as an initiative of our food company, and then we decided to turn Code Fever into a full-on nonprofit to really be able to address the needs in Miami, but then also realize so much activity is here, but no one was trying to make sure that, that, you know, black and brown people have a seat at the table. And I love what we're doing with Coach Taylor because <laughs> it's just like you can build your own damn table now, right? You don't need, mm-hmm. you don't need anyone's permission because it's cheaper right. and faster to build a company than ever mm-hmm. before now, especially when you're start talking about a startup. And so once they got the technical training, right, we do full stack development with them. We do, you know, a, a ton of different kinds of food camps. But marrying tech training with entrepreneurship training, no,
0: nowadays, so I think definitely.
1: those two things have to have to go together. Once they get the technical training, yeah, oh, of course, absolutely. Like if you're teaching somebody to code, right. but you're not, but you're not yeah, teaching them how yeah. to monetize their skills, I think you're wasting their time. I just think you are, you know. And people disagree with me or whatever, but I'm just like you are because we have to learn how to be self sufficient, right? And then especially if you're talking about Black and Brown people, we definitely have to understand that if we get skills. And we're in a tight situation, we at least know how to hustle with the skills that we have. At minimum, right? It, it, if you're not even trying to turn it into a full fledged viable business, you should always be at the based off of what you've been, been taught. So, to bring that full circle, we tackle the training component, right? And then we, the bigger question is all right, once you get the training, you need all these other things to happen to either to, to launch a successful startup or to have mm-hmm. a successful career in a STEM field. And it's it's just not the training, right? Because we know our community lacks mm-hmm. a certain amount of resource magnetism right. that we had to work on increasing. We also knew that we had to increase the deal flow that was coming into our community, right? So we have some amazing ideas, but they're not getting the eyeballs of the VCs in order for us to get that funding. And so we look at companies that are raising just a crap ton of money over in Silicon Valley, in New York, in Chicago, in Denver, and then you look at what you're doing here and you're just like, I don't understand how I'm not raising right. the money because you don't have the Exposure. eyeballs. Yeah, yeah, you definitely. don't speak the lingo. You're not in the room. Yeah. So Black Tech Week was a way of us doing all those things during one week in Miami. And it's not just Miami based. It's like, you know, we attract people all over the globe. We had a little over 17 people participate in the entire week. And it's not just a conference. The conference concludes the end of the week but literally being able to get people engaged from a creativity and innovation a technology standpoint, all wrapped in celebrating people of color. So that's Black Tech Week. It's a phenomenal week in Miami. We wrap up week, year two going into week, week three. But for us, it's about increasing deal flow and increasing the resource magnetism in, in our community. We just we have genius in our community. You know that. Yeah, I know that. I know that. that. The, world, you you, know, the world needs I'll to know you. that.
0: Yes, absolutely. I love it. I love it, and and I like the story too, because it really sounds like a just an organic kind of natural progression. You were mm-hmm. had a successful uh, feverish popsicle business, began to do this outreach with cold fever, and then that led to you launching and co founding this this week experience where you mm-hmm. you brought in these eyeballs, and so I, I love it. And and one of these days, Felicia, I'm going to make it down there. I'm telling you, I, I, I see clips right and things right from it. I, I, <laughs> you know I, you know I'm from Miami, so <laughs> Right,
1: right. You gotta come home. Gotta I gotta come, come
0: home. home. Exactly. No. But uh, anyway, unfortunately we're coming to a close and so I have a few more questions and they're very yeah, specific totally. questions. Yeah, and, and you can just answer just right off the bat. Now you, you wrote two books, right? Yeah. And you wrote one, How to Start a Business on a Ramen Noodle Budget. I know that's for somebody listening right now. That's for you. And there's Uh another book, The C-Student's Guide to Scholarships, which obviously you have experience in. So if you could first kind of sum up quickly what those two books are about. Uh And then if you would add on any other books that you would recommend our listeners check out when it comes to
1: scholarships, Absolutely, absolutely. So The C-Student's Guide to Scholarships is a creative guide to finding scholarships when your grades suck and your parents are broke. (laughs) Because that was mm-hmm. me in high school. That's a lot of people that I deal with. And the C, you know, while I, I talk about my experience as just not having good grades, the C really means getting very creative with limited resources, right? So that applies mm-hmm. to anyone. Whether you have a 5.0 or a 1.0, you've got to get creative if you really want the money because the money is there. And there's some ways to get the money and get the attention and get the eyeballs off of the things that you're not good at and have them solely focus on the things that you are good at and that you excel at in order to separate you from the rest of the applicants. So that's what that, that book is about. How to start a business on a ramen noodle budget, especially the story of my entrepreneurial journey of, again, how to get creative with limited resources. That's kind of like my theme along everything that I do. And, you know, being broke and if you can get creative with ramen noodles that you've all done, especially as college students, <laughs> You know, yeah, you turn absolutely. that 59, yeah, turn that 59-step packet of of, of, uh, of of noodles into a gourmet meal by getting creative, adding some chicken, adding some shrimp if you're really fancy. You got a few extra, bucks, some spices, the yeah. right? And you go from mm-hmm. something very basic, right, in order to turning it into something that, in a lot of places, is a gourmet meal a lot of times, right? And so, if you can get that creative, and it's funny, but if you can get that creative. You can channel that same creativity into launching your business when you don't have all the things that people are telling you that you need to have stacked up in to start a business. You know, when we started right. Feverish, I had just the last bit of my savings after losing my job. I had uh, no food experience whatsoever. Right, so I tell everyone you should be more surprised that I ever ever started a food company than anything in in tech because I had no food experience. But I didn't let that stop me. I realized that I could use what what I had and where I was at the time and catapult what I was doing, what I was doing, leverage what I was doing and leverage my relationship in order to launch this business that became a global sensation uh, that I ended up eventually being able to sell, you know, after seven years. So that's what I talk about in in that book is just getting creative. Don't let anything stop you and just realizing the game, you know, not having to play the game if you want to be able to make your own rules in order to launch your company. So that's what those books are about. I have another one called Focus, Strategic Action Planner that came out this year as well. Mm-hmm. And my top books that I would recommend, I would definitely say The Psychology of Influence by okay, Robert Cialdini right. is at the very top of my list. I would say any of Gary Vaynerchuk's books, especially if he talks about launching a startup. <laughs> Getting creative, technology. I was yeah, yeah. I would definitely recommend any of his books right now. I think on another note, The Four Agreements is a phenomenal book that I, I feel like everyone should read. And The Alchemist, you know, I'm just gonna go away Classic. from business and go to more just like mindset books. The Alchemist uh-huh. was is a fantastic book. My boss at the when I was working for the NBA, she gave me that book the first day I, I, I first day I started there. She gave me that book. I didn't read it until I quit. And I'm like, if I would have read that book, the first day she gave it to me, I would have never stayed at that job because it's just a fantastic <laughs> book about the journey that we kind of go through. the and flows of what happens. So you realize that what failure is a part of the process and you absolutely have to trust the process and that you get up. And, you know, as long as you're willing to get up, as many times life will punch you in the gut, because it happens to everybody that you can succeed. And
0: I think if you realize that, you can do anything that you want to do. Oh, man. That's good. I love it. Thank you so much for those nuggets and, and uh, listeners. I hope you go check out some of those books, including hers, uh, when you get an opportunity. Now, tell me this, Felicia. Being in the tech scene, are there any quick uh, tech or Internet resources you want to give a quick shout out to that we might want to go check out that you use or that you think are, are valuable to someone? I.
1: Am- I'm a I'm a junkie of what for Fancy Hands if you're like trying to duplicate yourself from a Fan, from a fancy business hands. standpoint. Yeah, FancyHands.com. is okay. also an app that I absolutely love. I think I'll probably shout out some of my friends around tech and um, that's my friend um, Brian Burkeen with Kairos, which is a facial recognition company, and then junior Alexis as well with direct dispatch. Which is kind of like the Uber for for transport companies. I think is really cool as well. So and then probably Mary Steele with Next Galaxy doing some really cool stuff with augmented reality.
0: We're gonna have to uh, get connected with those individuals and probably get them on the podcast because that sounds yeah,
1: man. Yeah,
0: yeah. And listeners, as some of you may already know, we do our best to. Take all these wonderful links and these resources and provide them in the show notes so that after you listen to the podcast, you can go to stemmedia.org, click on podcast, find an interview with Felicia, and you could look at the outline or the bullet point summary of all we talked about. Felicia, this has been a phenomenal experience for me and I know for all of the listeners. And so as we get ready to say goodbye, if you would just share how people can keep in touch. and stay in contact with you and just follow what you're doing. And then if you would okay. leave us with one of your favorite quotes and then we'll say goodbye.
1: Okay. Okay. Absolutely. So uh, thank you, doc again, so much for having <laughs> me on, on your show is definitely, definitely an honor. The best place to, to follow me is at Felicia Hatcher and that's Felicia with C E S E L E C I A on literally everything as well as the work we're doing with, with Black Tech Week. So at Black Tech Week and blacktechweek.com is the best place to follow us. Uh, my favorite quote is, I have two, but, uh, my favorite, favorite one is, am doing things that scare you every single day because the world does not benefit from you hiding your bad story. Oh, so that's man. my quote. And that's, that's what I'm going to oh, leave you man. with.
0: And there you have it. My, uh, headphones are smoking right now from all the fire you've just been <laughs> spitting out. So just thank you once again. The pleasure has been all mine. I'm so glad we were able to finally connect and man, I, I just wish you all the best and yes, we will yes. meet a, a, at some point down in, in Miami when I come home. Yes, we
1: gotta you got to bring your time to Southeast, right? Like, uh, like Obama. yes. <laughs> but in February, the third week of February, okay. man, I look forward to, to meeting you in absolutely, person.
0: Absolutely. Take care God speak to you. You too. Thank you for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode and we would love for you to come and join us again next time. In the meantime, please do us a couple of favors. One, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or any other platform you might find us on. And two, rate and leave a positive review so we can know what you think of the show. And finally, Spread the word. Tell your friends and family that
1: they can join us right here on the Nesbepreneur Podcast.